Friends, one of the um, most perennial questions in the history of philosophy is how do we resolve the tension between what's called the problem of the one and the many? How do we find an equilibrium or a balance between plurality and unity, between sameness and difference, between diversity and unity? Right? This is something the Greek philosophers were obsessed about. See, they looked around at the created world and they said, there's all this change and all this flux and all these things have elements of difference and diversity and plurality. But there also seems to be some kind of underlying structure, some kind of unity that connects all of these things. Right? So th this, this question of how to reconcile the one and the many was a huge question. Now that might seem abstract, but bring that down to the level of political philosophy. Which is primary, the individual or the community? Which is most important? Which has priority when the two are in tension, individual freedom or the common good? The one or the many. Right? So that tension, right? We, we know that tension in the last 15 months, don't we? Right? Having all the debates over COVID restrictions played out as a debate of the one versus the many. Right? How do you resolve that tension? So this has been a, a perennial question. How do you bring unity out of plurality? Right? It's the fundamental question of the United States, the United States motto. Right in Latin, e pluribus unum, out of the many one. How do you do that? Well, the Christian in the back of the room is like raising their hand, right? Like, so the, the philosophers pose this question, and the, we're the Christian in the back of the room, and we want to be called on because we have an answer. Call on me, call on me. The Trinity. Trinity is the resolution to the philosophical problem of the one and the many. The nature of God is plurality and unity in and of itself. God exists as both a multiplicity and a unity. But the answer to the one and the many is that in the nature of God, this perfect proportion and balance and equilibrium of plurality and unity of sameness and difference, of unity and diversity, is found within God. Not something we would have come up ourselves, but something God's revealed. That in the Trinity, in the communion of persons that we call God as Christians, there is a principle of unity. In technical language, we call it being, or substance, or nature, essence. There's also a principle of difference. We call it person. Three persons in one God is what we say as Christians. That within God there's this principle of difference and there's this principle of sameness. There's this principle of plurality and there's this principle of unity within God. And you might say, well, why is the one and the many a problem at all? Why is it a problem? Because both unity and plurality have a shadow side. Both unity and plurality have a shadow side. What's the shadow side of unity? It can become self-insulated. It can become exclusive. It can become monolithic. 
It can focus too much on itself, homogenous. That's the shadow side of beauty. What's the shadow side of plurality? Can devolve into division, competition, chaos, instability, when everything's different. There's a shadow side to both unity and a shadow side to plurality, right? God knew this. Last week at Pentecost, one of the reading options for the first reading was the, ta- the Tower of Babel, right? If you remember that story in the book of Genesis, God confuses the language of the people. It seems really strange. The early humans seem to be doing great. They're building this big tower. They're all speaking the same language. But they start to get kind of self-absorbed about that, self-insulated. They think they're the only ones that matter. And so God comes down and he confuses their language. He breaks them up into parts, into diversity, because he's like the shadow side of unity is kind of taking over. But what's the corrective of that in the history of salvation? Pentecost, in which all of these diverse languages on the day of Pentecost, as the apostles speak them, are heard together as a unity. Pentecost is the corrective to Babel, right? Where Babel is the shadow side of unity, right? Pentecost corrects the shadow side of plurality and diversity. And so within God, we have this this balance and this equilibrium, and the Holy Spirit is the one that affects that within us. It's the Holy Spirit that is the agent that is meant to bring unity out of plurality. Today, um, uh, Rebecca is with us. Um, Rebecca is a college student um, and wasn't able to be with us in our April confirmations. Um, She's on the uh, women's softball team at UT. They were traveling. So she'll be confirmed here in a few moments uh, with her family from visiting from everywhere. We welcome you guys. But receiving a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that's called to bring that unity out of the multiplicity. And that's a challenge for all of us, right? It's a challenge for us personally, right, to bring the scattered, disorganized, disparate parts of us into some kind of unified whole that's anchored on Christ. Right, the word... um, the word diabolical means to, to throw about, to scatter. Right? It's where ball comes from, the, to throw a ball is diabolical. So the work of, of evil, we might say, is to scatter us, to, to make us disparate. And the work of the Spirit is to bring the disparate, disparate parts, the disorganized parts, the parts of us that are scattered into some kind of unified whole centered on Christ and the work of the Spirit. The same is true in our work in public society. We're called to bring diversity into unity, multiplicity into unity, difference into some kind of unified structure and whole. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's what God is in his very nature. So friends, they call Trinity Sunday the preacher's nightmare. I disagree. I disagree. I think the Trinity is incredible as a description of reality and what it teaches us. Not about that we were, we were made for relationship, obviously, 
the structure of reality is love that exists in God as lover, beloved, and the love between that's shared between them. But it also teaches us that within God is the call for us to work out the problem for ourselves in our own hearts and in society of the one and the many. The great perennial question that has troubled philosophers is answered by the God that we worship. And so while the Trinity is a mystery, and of course a mystery is not something we can't say anything about, a mystery is something we can't say everything about. And so while the mystery doesn't like, um, we don't understand it necessarily because we think one person is one person, separate being and so on. I use the example often of, it's like watching a 3D movie without the 3D glasses, right? That's us trying to understand the Trinity. When we get the glasses on in eternal life, we'll, we'll get it. We've got, two, we've got normal glasses on trying to watch a 3D movie. But that's the mystery of the Trinity. It's outside of our realm of personal experience. But God has revealed himself in that way. And he's revealed himself in that way precisely because it's the structure of reality, the structure of love, and it's the structure of the tension between multiplicity and unity in our own hearts and in our own society. But let's recommit ourselves to our worship of the Christian God. Right? We're both monotheists, but we worship this kind of uh, tripartite God that exists as a communion of persons. Right? And let's grow in our love of the distinct aspects of Father, Son, and Spirit, but also their incredible unity, so that in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own societies, in our own communities, we can be ambassadors of finding uh, unity amidst the diversity, of bringing the many into 